Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live here on this first day of June. My goodness, what a what a series of uh, spirit-led points of alignment with the Lord we have experienced over these past couple of months, and uh, we have all targeted coming together to this point in order to look forward to what God has in store for his saints. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor at the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it's wonderful to be able to welcome my congregation as well as our Saints Network family to this uh, time of study in the Word. And uh, I do want to remind my congregation that we are going to be having a time of prayer tonight at 6 o'clock. Many will be gathering here in the sanctuary. We'd love to welcome you to that. But wherever you are, if you can't make it here, please set aside time to pray this evening. And in addition, we also want to remind everybody that this coming Saturday is first Saturday, a time when our Saints Network from around the world gathers together various times of the day, different time zones, uh, with a... Um, with a coordinated theme that we feel the Lord places before us, but we pray in the Spirit, and uh, then we submit whatever the Lord might show, and a report is compiled, and every month from around the world, we are able to see the Spirit generate a, almost as if it's a, not just a prophetic word, but a prophetic analysis of what it was that the Spirit was emphasizing during that prayer time. So don't miss out on these two events, but today we're going to get into the Word. Now last week I talked a lot about um, some very deep things about being an heir and a joint heir, but um, this wasn't just a heady teaching from the Scripture. This is something that the Spirit is highlighting to us today and there are some very significant measures of divine uh, promotion and maneuvering by the Spirit into the application of these very biblically stated roles. And so it's, it would behoove us to understand them. And again, I don't want to go too far on this because we've got a good deal to cover, and I do believe that it is a rhema for us today. But I, I may not be the best teacher. I may not make it uh, appealing and passionate for everybody. or I don't set out to try to exhort somebody into action. Uh, as pneumatikos people, I try to hear from the Spirit and lay out the meat of the Word. And that should inspire, that should exhort. To me, if I can understand something, especially a spiritual thing, then the onus is upon me to do it. I don't need a drill sergeant to keep prodding me on. Now, some people obviously do need that. But when you get the word and you see the word clearly, then again, the onus is upon you to receive the word 
believe the word and to proceed in the word. And so um, I, I'm very grateful for a congregation and a network that recognizes that principle. And, you know, it's, it's like uh, what the scripture speaks about those that uh, want strong meat, that, that they are seasoned and that they, they are willing to go into the depths of what God wants. And the, uh, the opposite end of that spectrum is people who just want milk. You know, I'm, I'm around a little baby grandson right now who we just love dearly. But when he wants his milk, he wants his milk. And um, he's very pleasant, very affable. But when he wants his milk, he wants it. And he lets you know it. And if you take it away from him too soon, he'll let you know that too. Now, this, is, this is the tendency of people who want milk. And so um, we need to be what we need to be. And today we're going to talk about being joint heirs with Christ, but particularly what does that mean in regard to being Christ-like? So on your teaching uh, outline, you have that available. If you've not accessed it yet, you should. We have at the very beginning of this a biblical progression toward being considered a functioning son, or what the scripture calls in the Greek, huios. And it begins with a baby, nepios. And um, there are a lot of scriptures that talk about being a baby. And I mean a lot of them, probably because there are so many Christians who are that. And you should peruse that. You have your handy Bible program. You just pop it and look at it. And uh, not while you're driving, but do it. And say, Lord, am I, have I graduated out of each of these foibles of being an infant? And if not, I need to step it up and stop being this way. I should stop being blown about by every wind of doctrine. I should stop... Uh, resisting the deeper things of the word, and so on. There's a there's a great list of them. The scripture is very specific about this. So that word nepios is uh, a baby. Now there's also the consideration of paideia, which is the 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 child being developed, a maturing child, not just a child being developed, but a maturing child is a technon. And these are all biblical terms. An heir, as we mentioned last week, is chloronomos. But a joint heir is synchloronomos. Now, we should aspire to move in this development. And we should strive for those latter two. And as we talked about last week, and we're just reiterating this, uh, being an heir is basically, literally, someone who takes responsibility for who God created them to be and where God has assigned them to serve. That is the apportionment. Being an heir, particularly then a joint heir, is not something that you necessarily uh, gain as a 
trust fund. You know, it doesn't just drop into your lap. It's an active participation. It's a realization of what God reveals you to be and where he places you. So many Christians don't know what they are. They go all over the place getting people to try to tell them who they are. And even after they've been told what they are, they say, I don't really know who I am, basically because they don't like what they've been told. They aspire for something else. Ambition is not a friend in the spirit realm. The people that are ambitious will always be pressing the envelope of, of what God's called them to be. Now, you should strive to become the best of what God has called you to be. That type of ambition is fine, but people that set their own goals and they compete, and I mean, that, that is the antithesis of humility and meekness. And those two things are essential for moving in the power of the Lord in regard to uh, the spirit realm and uh, activities around the earth. What do you think Jesus meant when he said the meek will inherit the earth? What do you think he meant by that? You think, are you getting your bids in, thinking that when the rapture happens and you're in eternity, uh, you know, God, give me uh, Crested Butte or give me Miami or God knows some of you would want Paris. But, you know, the, the thing, though, is that it, it is a responsibility. It's a privilege. It's a privilege of partnership. But God ordains that, and you just strive to be what he wants. And, you know, you're not going to serve in what God wants you to be so that he'll notice you and make you something other than that. That's ridiculous. So... Every one of these levels, baby and maturing child, they all have the, the impetus of what it is to be an heir and a joint heir. It's just being developed. So Romans 8, 14 through 17, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That is a definitive commitment to the fundamental and foundational will of God. And you cry that. You cradzo it. You don't just whisper it. Or, I mean, it, it, is, it, it indicates that it's your war cry. It is your deepest concern that you fulfill that for your Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Note that. Here's the Spirit of God, universal, bearing witness, coming in the martyria of your life with our spirit, that we are children of God. We're growing. When the Spirit begins to bear witness with our spirit, when we need to begin to register, God begins to use us. And then if we're doing that, then we step into a role of being an heir. You, you first start taking responsibility. And God notices this. You're faithful in small things. He makes you, gives you more authority and more assignments. And when you do that, then uh, you are then being directed specifically by God to utilize those things. That's why it's technon and then heirs and then joint heirs. Um, and, but then 
you come into this area of being a joint heir with Christ, if so be that we're willing to suffer with him, that we may enjoy the glory of God together. We're touching on a lot of terms here that you as Pneumatikos people should understand. I should not have to teach again about what it means to participate in the glory. I mean, it just should be wrote within you so that we can synergize the meaning of these different terms that the Spirit uses and move forward. So, what does it mean to be a joint heir with Christ? Now, first of all, joint heirs are sharing jointly in a particular cause or some type of an ownership. And three examples there, the example of marriage, the example of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who all participated in that same promise given to Abraham. And then we as Gentiles are called to be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We'll revisit that passage here in just a couple of minutes. So, the difference between being an heir, which is serving under command, because remember we studied from Galatians about where the scripture equates being an heir with being a curios, Lord, somebody who is learning how to take responsibility, obeying that measure of responsibility from God, and uh, that's what they do. That's why Jesus Christ was Lord. Uh, Jesus, the Savior, no name greater than that. Christ, the anointed Son, plus these other things we're going to look at from the Scripture here in just a moment, is Lord. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. He came to do his Father's business. That's what that category of Lord is all about. So, these are all old topics. But what does it really mean to be a joint heir with Christ? In 2010 we were able to produce a book simply called Christ. And it kind of went under the radar, but there we uh, enunciated a number of things that the Scripture says about what it means to be Christ-like. Now, a thumbnail definition is that Christ is the anointed Son, or the Son who gains a directive apostolically from God and then goes forth in that anointing and that commission to accomplish that work. The church is supposed to be Christ-like, which is what Christian means. But many people don't understand really what Christ means. So if we're going to be a joint heir with Christ... What does that really mean? Well, let's look at some verses. There are lots of verses that speak of Christ. Uh, I would advise you to begin to feast on them. 
First, Galatians 4.19, Paul was praying, uh, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What does that mean, Christ being formed? And to be, to travail in birth again, my little children, I travail in birth again. To me, that signifies that regardless of what all you may know in God, if you're going to enter into this co-heir relationship with Christ, it is in some ways an activation within you, where your spirit is, uh, your spirit which becomes born again through, through Jesus, which is, uh, to me, that dossier of what God wants to fulfill through you, which you'll surrender when this life is over, that spirit, that ghost. Um, it's what you pray, when you pray with, when you pray in tongues. I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. And again, we've touched on these, but I mean, if people just would remember the word, it would dispel a lot of wives' tales. You know, I remember when I was growing up, tell me if this isn't true, in a Pentecostal church, there were some people that would only pray in the spirit, and maybe months apart, if they felt the move of the spirit come upon them. And I can appreciate that burst of the visitations of God, but it's not, you don't pray in the Spirit simply because of an influx from heaven. Your Spirit prays, and, and this then develops the mysteries. It speaks to the Father, and um, that's an area that will will need to develop gestate as it were and as it grows and develops Christ is being formed in you and this is what Paul was writing about here now you can you can quibble about what it means travailing in birth again in birth again um, the people were already born again but this is a a forming of something new so we got a lot to cover. Just think on that. Second Corinthians eleven one. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ chaste virgin. We've studied about that, how that's uh, chaste is uh, hegnos, it's from hagias. So you are wanting, you are needing to be virginal before God to, to produce first fruits with him as a saint. You, um, you aren't worn out or um, you don't you, you you are really anticipatory and you're, you're, you're filled with love and you're 
committing yourself, all those things that a chaste virgin represents. But this is how we must move in Christ. We also should be at the right hand of the throne of God. Forgive me, it says A, the right hand. It should be a T there. At the right hand. I'll have to have words with my transcriptionist, which, oh, wait a second, that's me. Colossians 3, 1. If you then being risen with, be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall all appear with him in glory. A lot of Christ there. But to me, the one that stands out is being risen with Christ, seeking the things which are above at the right hand of God, where Christ sits. Even so far, right there, if you're going to be really moving as a joint heir with Christ, you need to allow the Spirit to develop what's in your spirit. You need to be uh, passionate in, in who you are. I'm not saying emotional. And I'm not faulting emotion. But you can be emotional and not do this. I've seen lots of people blubber all kinds of crocodile tears and lay on their face for a long, long time. And then when they get up, they don't want to do anything. I've heard people say that. You know, no, don't talk to me about interpreting. You know, don't talk to me about studying the Word. Don't talk to me about this. You know, I just want to love God. Well, um, I, I don't want to be one of those... I should watch what I say here. Um, we, just, we just need to recognize that there's love and there's a commitment to the one you love for His purpose. And are, and are you ministering at the right hand of God, understanding that prophetic principle, uh, praying there, doing what is commissioned there as an intercessor? The objective is to become pneumatikos, 1 Corinthians 3.1. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as pneumatikos, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Pshee! Are you moving in Nematikos? I don't really know. I, I would assume that a babe in Christ is somebody that is just freshly moving. But God wants you to keep going deeper. Imagine somebody being in Christ and with the, with the understanding that there's there are deeper things that God wants to use you in. This is not from a prideful standpoint. This is not from a pretentious standpoint. This is from a standpoint of accountability and service. So, are you, are you at the right hand? Are you a chaste virgin? Are you being formed? Are you pneumatikos? Let's look at Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let's go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, 
of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permit. What's God saying there? We've talked about this a lot years ago. He's not saying that you abandon these these necessary things. But if you're if you're leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ to go on into perfection, that means that you shouldn't have to have a sermon on repentance every week. Uh, yeah, you got to bring people into the church. You got to have new converts. Um, but but once they're there, they need to be presented. Okay, young man, here's what is here's what God wants. He wants you to grow. Um. So, in order to, to, to move, you have the principles of the doctrine of Christ, and then you, you press forward toward perfection. Some people would think that if, yeah, if I have the principles of the doctrine of Christ, that's all there is. That's all the gospel. Here we are. Well, it is, it is sufficient, if properly applied, for, for somebody to be born again. But once you are born again, then this plethora of scriptural admonitions to grow and develop is before you. The gospel of Christ. We have the doctrine of Christ. There's also the churches of Christ uh, in the Bible. But the gospel of Christ, Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that is moving in the right hand of God, to the Jew first and to the Greek. And what, what does that mean? You know, I used to, we used to have a, a messianic ministry that utilized our facility. Wonderful people. We love them. But I used to have discussions with uh, the rabbi, who was a very dear man, and so many messianic teachings reads this to the Jew first as if we've got to keep emphasizing the Jews. We bless the Jews. We bless the nation of Israel. But this is simply a chronology. Um, what we said about earlier with being a joint heir, fellow heirs, the Gentiles are fellow heirs to the promise. The Apostle Paul says that you know, the mature ones in Christ are really um, as the Jews. And, and so this is just speaking about how God ministered to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and throughout the law and the prophets. But then also comes the Gentile, that grafted in. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just or those who are moving in the, the vision and the ongoing revelation given by God shall live by faith, shall live by what goes on um, at the right hand of the throne. So this is, this is wonderful. It, it's, it's faith, it's growing in righteousness. Um, from faith to faith would be along the same lines as from glory to glory? Are you doing that? That's the good news of Christ. Remember when Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ? Now that just totally unwound Simon the sorcerer. 
okay, let's keep going with this. We need to see this. We want to be a joint heir with Christ. Let's look at it. The mystery of Christ. There's a lot of verses that talk about this. 1 Corinthians 4.1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Are you really cherishing the mysteries of God that he causes you through spiritual languages to pray and then to interpret and to apply that musterion to the ongoing directives of the overall mystery and purpose of God? Are you doing that? Uh, if, if you're going to be ministers of Christ, you've got to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Let that sink in. You know, it, it, when you talk about mysteries in the context of the Scripture, sometimes you you get a total disregard by the religious world. And sometimes you even get a blank stare from people who should know better. But you've got to be stewards of that. What is a steward? Somebody that can cite, yeah, I'm responsible for this. I know where this is. I know where this is. I know how to get that. Oh, yes, uh, the, the master is asking for this. Well, let me just access this. That's what a steward of the mysteries of God is. I'm not trying to make anybody feel badly here. But I am trying to say that if you want to be a joint heir with Christ, so far, what have, what have we looked at? I mean, we, we keep reiterating these. He's de- this is developed in you, in your born-again spirit. You are to be a chaste virgin, passionately, to partner with him. You're at the right hand of the throne of God. You are devoted to becoming pneumaticos. You are pressing on to perfection, not just hanging around the, the same old, same old, as precious as that might be, as foundational as that might be. You are um, you're moving from faith to faith um, as a just person. You are delving into the mysteries of God, being stewards of that. Let's look at Ephesians 3, verses 2 through 7. And um, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, apocalypsis, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereas I was made, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Wow. You should you should read that one over again several times because it is packed and um 
it's Christ. It's his. The mysteries are his. Uh, you've got to have the knowledge of that. It's revealed through mysteries. And um, I, I just, I don't see how much clearer this could be. And it's not unattainable. You know, sometimes people, when you talk these things, again, they get the blank stare like a cow looking at a new gate. And they start dismissing themselves. Well, that's not the way I was raised. You know, I'm more of a linear person. Oh, I was trained in this, in this uh, diatribe at this Christian university. And these things kind of make me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm accepting of it, but I just don't get it. See, you need to make yourself get it. And what do I mean by that? If you see it in the Word... You need to be asking God to help you to do this. I'm preaching now. Better get back to teaching. Christ in you, hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the riches of the glory of this mystery, God wants to make this known to us as Gentiles, which is the tabernacle of David, Christ in you, in you, the hope of glory, which means you are spending time at the heart of God, gaining the seeds of faith, and you are sharing with him in the assignment from the throne, which is the depiction of his glory. I don't know how much clearer to make that. You're just going word by word. Now, you know, I've heard this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everybody shouts glory. That's the way you say it if you really are passionate. Glory. But, you know, I don't know what people really think that means. A lot of people think, uh, you know, I joke with Luke and Sylvie and they share this joke that probably half the conferences in the nation of France have to do in some way with the glory. And for those folks, it's just a, they, they mean a visitation from God. Well, the hope of glory is God sowing something into you that you're willing to partner with him in and, um, then his glory, you're changed from glory to glory. Uh, it's promotion through service, successful service to, to the Lord. And um, Christ in you, that's the glory of this mystery. You see that? So, um, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, 16. He that is spiritual... There's our friend again, judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. Wow, there's so many ways you can apply this. I remember when we were being in the great inquisition of 2013, 2003 and 2004, uh, I had the privilege of 
trying to present what it was that we believed as saints and as people who prayed in divers' tongues and as people who laid on their face in prayer and as people who prophesied, as well as other things. And as I laid those things out, which is really the mind of the Lord, this is how you align yourself to serve the plan of God in partnership with him. Um, these folks, as I bless them all, were just incredulous. And they, they wanted to counsel the Lord and instruct him. But who can do that? Because we were really trying to move in the mind of Christ um, as pneumaticos people. The mind of Christ. Now, whenever we say the mind or the way God thinks, we remember what we've learned about how God thinks in the Old Testament. When God wants to declare what his thought is on a particular thing or to proclaim some statement or promise, it was almost always in a fivefold way. Right? We studied about that. And then we aligned how that came about, uh, where you pray and you want to be used by the Spirit in whatever way He's created you to be, and you want to move with the Spirit, which is the pastoral office. You then wanted to glean these things, which is the teacher's office. You then wanted to have the readiness to move forward. Uh, and, and you were anxious to do it, which is the evangelistic office, you then were able to clarify specific points of meaning, which is the prophetic office, to commit yourself to them. And then you receive that mandate for what it is that is apparent that God wants to do, which is the apostolic office. This is the way God thinks. Now, we know that the evangelist makes the way for the apostle. And, um, but the evangelist, everybody should be doing the work of the evangelist, the scripture says. There should be an excitement. There should be a willingness to move forward. And uh, that starts to me when you first see the things. And as our brother Mark Burke says, the word begins to explode in you. And then there's a clarity of the prophetic word out of all the things that God is showing. You judge as a prophet and you line these things up and you say, okay, this is what God's saying, this is what God's saying. All these other things are support information, but this is what God's saying. And then the apostle who is anointed by God, he goes forth or she goes forth. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of God. That's the mind of Christ. Now let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 7. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Measure, metron, you know, every person has their specific understandings, their specific assignments, uh, the, the measure of faith. But here's the measure of the gift of Christ. What Christ wants you to fulfill, how he wants you to apply it. Wherefore, he says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The measure of the gift of Christ, he gave gifts to men. He that ascended 
What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, above all heavens, that he might fill or plare all things. And he, notice all these he's, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And that's, that's an interesting word because there's a close, this is just for something for you to study. There's a close derivation connection between this word, which speaks about repairing the artos, repairing the way that something is going to flow, like repairing an artery, as it were. Now, an unclean spirit, a cathartis, will try to block, but this is doing a work of uh, repairing, preparing, and this, with the perfecting of the saints, this can mean uh, a double entendre. It can mean that these fivefold things will develop the saints, but it is also a work that the saints do. You know, the the bride of Christ, the the friend of the bridegroom prepares the way of the Lord for the Lord to come, as well as preparing for the righteous nation to come. I think that is in tandem with this, because we know that the remnant of the saints. We're always working so that things can flow properly. And this is something that we as saints need to, to recognize. Our job is to make ready. Other people are going to get the glory. It's that, it's that Rick Pino song. You're a pioneer. You're discovering. You're, you're establishing the, the highways. You are opening up the water systems, pointing out where the water supply is, where this is, where that is. Uh, that's the perfecting of the saints. And what's it come through? Christ. Through the fivefold. Through the mind of Christ. Through the mysteries of Christ. I think that's a good message. Maybe for another day. Or maybe it's just a tidbit for you to... One of, somebody's going to have a revelation in three weeks. And they're going to have this. Heard it here first, folks. Um, the work of the ministry, and it is work, for the edifying, the oikodome, the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. What's that mean? Till we're all, we're not going to be in agreement with all the Christians. You know that. But this is that faith is functioning. There is a free flow and an agreement at the right hand where there is a function. We do our part, and God orchestrates this. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, what it means to be sons, to toward becoming a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, tell me, pre, tell me if this hasn't been said in the past few minutes, that we henceforth be no more children. This is Napios. Tossed to and fro, carrying about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. I always am amazed. I, I say this, I believe it, and I know so many of you do too. 
You're called to be a saint. You see these things. You know these things. These are the rudimentary functional principle of the depths of how the throne of God operates with his sons. How in the world somebody could taste of that spiritual gift? No tasting the powers of the world to come, moving in those things. How you could start being blown about by every wind of doctrine again. You know, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, you know, I, re I remember, I don't want to go too far with this, but I'm obviously going. Uh, you know, if you, if you were in the dating scene and there's always somebody that just likes to play the field. I mean, there's just something in them that they love to find themselves attractive. They love to go and get somebody. And it's all in the getting. It's all in the hunt. And they find some wonderful person that they can't be satisfied with them for very long. There's, their eyes are still wandering around. When you find what the apex of serving with God is, being Christ-like, his mysteries at the right hand, moving from faith to faith, uh, being stewards of the mysteries, being pneumaticos, you find that, why in the world would you jettison that or put that, you're no longer a chaste virgin. You're, you're not a chaste virgin. You're something else. You're playing the field. Oh, what's the latest word? Oh, what's this word? Oh, what's this word? Well, why don't you just put those words aside and start seeing what God says? It's not that you don't, that you're not aware of things, but if, if that's what turns you on, so to speak, you're, you're going to have challenges. You know, maybe that's uh, youthful lusts. You know, I think back, I didn't do anything bad when I was a young man. I really didn't. I made a lot of mistakes, but I, I wasn't perverted or did anything bad. But there were a lot of things that I didn't understand in myself. And it created, and this happened for all of you, so don't be looking at me cross-eyed. I mean, you had feelings, you had desires, but you didn't really understand them. And in the short-sightedness of your, your lack of life experience, you, you maybe misdeduced things or you pursued things you shouldn't have. And then after experience, you thought, man, that was kind of dumb. Be embarrassed by it. Now, looking back, did I really do that? Did I really think that? Once you grow and you mature, why would you go back to that nonsense? So here in the fivefold passage, here where the gift of Christ is mentioned, here where the perfecting of the saints and the unity at the right hand of the throne and the knowledge of the Son of God in a perfect man, why in the world would Paul change gears through the anointing of the Spirit and talk about Make sure you don't go back and be a child again. I think we should see that because there's a really big risk of that. Let's keep moving. And now, page four. Oh, I put these three on the last page because I think 
we have faced this, we are facing it, you know. It's, it's something to say all the things we've been saying, but we should recognize we don't go looking for it, we don't dream it up, but we should recognize that there's opposition. How about 2 Corinthians 12, the thorn and the power? Verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient. It is a barrier. It is a wedge for you. My strength is made perfect in the midst of this weakness. There, my, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the what? The power of Christ. Why didn't you say the power of Jesus? The church, and we love the name. In the name of Jesus. You know, we say that. I joke about that kid when I was in choir. He got up uh, at, at Bible college and he said, and I said three words, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and everybody thought, okay, I think the Lord would say, learn to count, Bob. Um, but that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my asthenia, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is our friend dunamis. This is the power of function. So here's Paul talking about the power of Christ resting as a tent, as a tabernacle, um, turning Asthenea's infirmities into, you know, that spirit of infirmity, turning it into uh, victory and function, um, distresses for Christ's sake. Can't we just bind these things? Can't we just rebuke them, cast them out? Can't we just get a prayer chain going and eliminate the potential of these things? I mean, if we really understood faith, these things wouldn't be happening. You ever heard such things before? Like Kenneth Hagin used to say, I'd sooner hear a donkey bray at midnight in a tin barn. It just kind of captivates me. I love that. But, you know, um, if you're going to be moving in the mysteries of Christ... You should know that the enemy is not going to be happy. And I've noticed, not that I go looking for it, not that I want it, not that I'm inviting it. This will find you if you're really moving in Christ. Jesus said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And the enemy does not want you functioning as an anointed son. That's why he rebelled in the first place. His pride would not tolerate a being like you and me who were formed in the image of God. So, of course, the enemy is going to attack this. Of course, the enemy is not going to want this. I'm not giving the enemy too much plaudit here. I'm just describing the battlefield. Now, this thorn in the flesh, we've taught about this before. Lots of biblical scholars sincerely say this was Paul's 
challenged eyesight or, you know, something of that nature. I prefer to think it's a thorn. Now, in the Old Testament, thorns were largely people problems. And even the Belial influence that we're going to talk about next was described in, in thorny depictions. And so, um, and Belial functions, Belial or the Antichrist functions as the uh, designed in the enemy camp antithesis to what it means to be Christ-like. So there's your army that fights against the things of God. Now, I've, I've battled this, and, you know, three times Paul asked, Lord, get rid of this. I don't know how many times I ask. Give Paul credit for giving up at three. Um, but my grace is sufficient. My grace is going to buffer you. My grace, what I have said is your objective, you going forward, the new horizon that's ahead of you in partnership with the throne of grace and what the right hand has empowered and instructed you to do. That is sufficient. It will overcome. Sometimes you rebuke the enemy and he flees. That's scripture. Sometimes his gra God's grace is sufficient. Grace is always sufficient. Hear me what I'm saying in this context. And you just have to keep pressing forward in the gap that God has called you to stand in and withstand when the enemy comes in because there is a breakthrough coming. But it's because of the abundance of mysteries and visions and revelations which is part of of the mysteries of Christ, being stewards of the mysteries, being pneumaticos, being a five-fold processor, right? Or am I misinterpreting these? This is not a topical sermon. This is all the same big, thick cut of filet mignon from the throne. So I mentioned 2 Corinthians 6.15, the next verse. What concord has Christ with Belial, and what part has he that believeth with an infidel? You remember many years ago when we studied about the Antichrist spirit and how the warnings in the New Testament about the Antichrist are almost line for line stated pertaining to the warnings about the Belial influence. There were sons of Belial, or as we affectionately called them, SOBs. There were individuals, Belial, who would like to wear out the saints. They would like to wear thin your veracity and your, your passion and your, your willingness to keep serving. Um, and, and so we need to know that the Antichrist spirit that is moving and, and John said the Antichrist comes they were with you and they came out from you there is uh, this is a long teaching in itself which we've done in the past but the enemy loves to corrupt the church the enemy loves to corrupt those that were moving in the things of the spirit the enemy loves to corrupt 
giftings that were given by God. And so he takes those, if he can turn somebody or recruit somebody, he takes them. And it's, it's kind of like what happened with, in Afghanistan. This is a good illustration, I think, as opposed to those other ones I give. When the United States left 80 billion some dollars worth of weapons there, suddenly the Taliban is one of the most equipped armies in the world. If the enemy likes to take, um, uh, if he can recruit people, that's his only resource, and, and glean from them things that God has given to them, he will. And then you're fighting against weapons that you're familiar with. Now, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We're not worried about this. But I'm saying that that's the recruit. John says they came out from you. There are many antichrists in the world, and boy, isn't it happening now. That's another message in itself. But this is definitively against standing opposed to Christ. So, the last one, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He gives you the power he gives you the function. All How many things? All things. I love that. I've told this before. I used to listen to those radio programs in the Sunday afternoon when I first came to Dallas. There was this old black preacher. I, at least he sounded old. You can't tell over the radio. And he had a, an elder who would read the scripture for him. And he'd say, Brother, would you read Philippians 4.13? And the guy would read it. I can do all things. Oh, wait, stop now. How many things? All things. No, clarify that for me. How many things? And he would do that. And it, it got his point across. And it was so entertaining. But you can do all things through Christ. And another way to say it is Christ should be in all things. Like the prayer of St. Patrick that David Ruiz used to talk. Christ above me. Christ below me. Christ at my side. Christ within me, Christ through me. You know, I'm paraphrasing it. But he's going to strengthen you. So if you are Christ-like, a joint heir with Christ, you got to make sure that these things that are scriptural are functional in you. And good news is, for the saints, we've got still a long ways to go. We're by no means perfect, but... Every one of these categories should not seem odd to you. These should be things that you're already working in. And I think as an heir and an heir of God, God is tr was training us and giving us assignments and doing, you know, one of the blessings we had as saints was that we were given this amazing divine visitation and an impartation to move forward and to intercede and to really know the Father and become sons and to do all these things. The scripture was coming alive. The angels were instructing us. And it was for the purpose of jump-starting or initiating this movement of the saints. And so we were given a lot of, dare I say, brevet promotions where we were immediately functioning in an apostolic way. In some ways, that's excellent. I'm so grateful for that. But in a lot of ways, God, God always looks for an intercessor, 
it had to be done that way. He couldn't wait for us to go through all the training process. He was training us all the way through, but yet on the, on the other hand, we were functioning in this uh, immediately. And that's God's way. That's a wonderful thing. But all of these things that we've learned, I mean, man, I told you, I wrote that book 12 years ago, which meant we started teaching on it probably 14 years ago. Joint heirs with Christ. It's being formed in you now. Yes, there's opposition. We don't like it, but we'll overcome through grace. But we need to go through this checklist and say, and, and don't just wait and say, well, yeah, I'm taking responsibility for what's in me, and I'm taking a stand in the gap and the parets that God has put me in. That's true. That's wonderful. But what about this depiction of Christ? Are you representing these things. I don't believe that any saint who's been part of this ongoing collaboration of saints can plead ignorance concerning any of these terms. If you don't know what pneumatikos is and what the mysteries of God is and what the spirit within you is and with uh, Belial influence and and being a steward and, and all these other things we just talked about, you need to go back and revisit your syllabus and you need to go back and revisit lessons. I'm not being hard on anybody, but this is a, this is a demanding thing. This is the top of the the top of the ladder in growth. Now there's there's always going to be greater development. But if we're going to be a joint heir with Christ, we've got to be doing what Christ depicts himself as doing in the scripture. So, God bless you all. Keep seeking him. This is a good message for us. And for all of you, we invite you, if you're listening to this today on June 1st, join with us in prayer tonight. Uh, may God bless you. We'll see you this coming Saturday for uh, first Saturday until the next time we're together. May he be with you. Goodbye.